While I first bonded with Catherine Ann Pride over our shared identities as teachers during her time as Professor Kitty in Wolverine and the X-Men, I realized I was in love watching Shadowcat unabashedly enjoy food in Uncanny. Anyone with that level of devotion to snacking was clearly my twin separated at birth. While 40 years of continuity have left Kate with a myriad of monikers, it has left her with even more costumes, many of which we can happily lay to rest with her. Looking at you, Extreme X-Men 44, though her name and costumes are ever-changing, why we love her never did. Kate's immense heart consistently showed intense dedication to making the world a better place, especially for her friends. She showed courage in never shying from the chance to sacrifice if it meant protecting others. Most importantly, Kate was never afraid of opportunities to grow and discover more about herself. While Kate could phase through nearly anything, she never needed her mutant power to find her way into our hearts. <laughs> Hello and welcome to WMQ Presents Our Daughter Kate, a tribute to everyone's favorite intangible bisexual Jewish pirate, Captain Kate Pride. I'm Dan Grote. I'm Matt Lazowitz. And uh, joining this week to talk, uh, joining us this week to talk about her fave is writer, drama teacher, one half of the excellent podcast Chris is on Infinite Earths, Christy Edelman. Christy, thank you for that touching speech. Oh, thank you, Dan and Matt, and thank you guys for having me on the show. Uh, so, Christy, you're here partly because uh, we bid on your Creators for Comics offer to guest on our podcast, but also. Just to have you talk about your favorite character. So uh, tell us, why did you pick Captain Kate to be your uh, quote-unquote daughter for this uh, this guest appearance? You know, it's really hard because I hold a lot of characters in my heart. But <laughs> Kate right now is definitely at the forefront. Um, I've been covering Marauders on Xavier Files for a while. So pouring into each of her issues on Marauder, Marauders very intensely and got to cosplay her and at C2E2 and hang out with Jerry Duggan. Uh, so I've kind of been riding that high for the last couple months. So she's, she's definitely the character closest to my heart right now. Not that there's not room for the others. I feel, I always feel bad like leaving somebody behind or picking a favorite. It's like choosing a favorite child. I love all my fictional children equally. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, As we are talking, you know, the once and former shadow cat tonight, we also have the guest of my cat, Bess, who has decided that she wants to stick her face into my laptop. Isn't that right, Bess? Yes, she says yes. Um, but nonetheless... Um, so you talked about it a little bit in the cold open, but what was your your first exposure to Kate Pride? Uh, mine was probably Pride of the X Men. We will <laughs> talk about that later. Um. We will absolutely talk about that later. <laughs> I feel like I had a like a really empty childhood because so many people that 
I talk to and know really like fell in love with the X-Men through the cartoons uh, or as a kid. And I just I never had those experiences. We watched a lot of PBS, uh, never had cable uh, growing up. So it was, it was interesting. So my first exposure was actually um, reading her in Astonishing. And like I thought she was fine, but I really loved Emma mm-hmm. uh, reading Astonishing. That was that was my fave. Um, but Wolverine and the X-Men, I absolutely loved her as headmistress. She was great. She was a lot of fun. Um, and then even going back and reading more of young Kitty as Sprite is, uh, is, is a lot of fun. She's You get to read her throughout so many phases of her life. Phases? Ha! Huh? Uh, so many phases <laughs> of her life. It's 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 like we got to watch her grow up. What about you, Dan? Oh man, that's a good. Okay, so yeah, I I can't. I, I'm that stereotypical guy who came in through the uh, through the '90s cartoons. So, you know, for the generation before me, where she was sort of everybody's POV character, you know, for me it was Jubilee. Uh, so I think the first time I actually experienced Kitty in any form was when she showed up at the end of, I want to say it was uncanny three Oh two. She had, uh, it was the issue before the one where Ileana dies of the legacy virus. So she just kind of shows up at the door, which Jubilee answers because part of like the narrative that of that time was kind of comparing, contrasting the two sort of, uh, young X-Men trainees mm-hmm. from, you know, from the eighties and nineties, you know, where, uh, so Jubilee not really respecting Kitty at first, not really understanding what the whole deal was with Ileana, because let's face it, you know, that, that, that's a whole can of worms. <laughs> that's a whole lot, you know, and then coming to sort of respect and appreciate her. And then from there, because fatal attractions was happening, I picked up the Excalibur tie in, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and then kind of faded out of that book until I needed to come back to it for, I don't know, whatever the next crossover was, Fowling's Covenant, uh, you know, and by then Warren Ellis was just about to take over. And that's when I really got into Kitty, uh, you know, uh, for more on that, you can listen to our, our son Pete, uh, episode from a, <laughs> a month or so ago from the beginning of the Rona times. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, uh, my comic book arc with Kitty almost exactly matches yours. Mm-hmm. You also throw in uh, her appearance in the Marvel trading cards because that's where I learned about a lot of characters that weren't appearing in the handful of Marvel books I was reading at the time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, but, you know, the reason everybody knows Kate loves Kate currently uh, is because of Marauders, which is about to come back next week. Uh, you know, finally getting uh, new Marvel comics. Uh, yeah. After oh, after two so months good. away, it's yeah. such a good issue. No no spoilers. <laughs> no spoilers, but it's so good, guys. <laughs> when this comes out, will they have read it? Uh, this is going to be out Tuesday, so like the day before. Okay, well, guys, you're going to love it. <laughs> so so far, only the Spoiler. staff of XavierFiles dot com has read it. <laughs> Isaac. Um. Anyway. Uh. Yeah, so the thing that is striking uh, me, though, about all this is that Eleven apparently doesn't come out until August. Oh, it's, yeah. it's crushing. I've just been over here waiting for 12. Um, but yeah, that it's going to be a long break. Like, 
gosh, there's going to be a there's, no spoilers. There's going to be a lot in ten to tide you guys over for a while. Okay. I'm glad to hear. I mean, listen, the, the covers don't speak to the in- interior content of a book anymore, but I, I just like the Russell Dodderman image of the team and Forge with his cool bioweapons going ham on some uh, R- R- Russian uh, hate mongers. So mm-hmm. <laughs> th- that's what I got. That's what I have for the moment. But so uh, it's Russia. Forge breaks you. That's right. <laughs> Yo, he's not doing five five hundred squats a day for nothing. Uh, <laughs> oh God, he's a, he's I, 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 total tangent, but I love Forge now. I, I've never really cared about Forge, but now that he's a walking predator handshake meme. I love him. Um, it's an interesting <laughs> and very different take on that particular character who I've never seen being quite as broy as he is, but it works. It, it absolutely works, but. Marauders. So uh, I mentioned it's in Marvel's August solicits, which, you know, that's that's a long time, three months. But that's when everything's gearing back up, you know, up in like kind of full force again. Uh, So once again, all over again, we're seeing that that cover for Eleven, that Russell Dodderman cover of Storm and Emma with Lockheed wrapped around her neck, sending Kate out to sea. You know, Mm -hmm. seeing that after, you know, so many months, you know, of, of time Did it kind of, you know, how does, how does that image hit you? I feel like the world that Hickman has created and comics in general have mm-hmm. really led us to mistrust death, but mm. Duggan has really done a great job of raising the stakes here and making this feel impactful you know, what we were promised isn't, isn't fulfilled. You know, there's no easy way to bring her back. And it's, it's the most beautiful hook in this story right now. Uh, you know, Kate's, Kate's difficulty, her incompatibility with Krakoa. Um, so, you know, it's heart wrenching, but I, you still can't, you can't fully trust it. Like, Mm-hmm. she's got this awesome costume like yeah this is gonna be it's gonna be an issue full of a lot of feels but i don't think we've seen the last of her that's that yes that is absolutely fair um you know i marauders is one of the books that i've definitely been in the tank for since jump uh it's been the most cons- to me it's been the most consistently good dawn of x book uh, how, how about for you Oh, it, it's absolutely my favorite. Early on, I feel like we had a couple hiccups in terms of coloring. Um, sure, sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, but writing for me has been so spot on. Um, and I mean, it, it, it's a great it's a great story full of a ton of mystery. And it feels like it's uh, it's it's set up in a way that it could wrap itself up if it had to, but I don't think it's mm. going to need to. <laughs> so, uh, it, it's really been a joy to read and a joy to, to cover and talk about. And I feel like we were so spoiled with those issues coming so fast at the beginning that, that this wait, uh, after this, this issue until August is just going to feel even more excruciating <laughs> after waiting. Um, for the for the Rona times, yeah, that's true. That's right. We were getting double shipped Marauders for mm-hmm. almost the entirety of its run. <laughs> yeah, welcome to my world. 
Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Says I've the had... man from the Bat books. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I've had what? I had the last issue of Batman the next to the last week of March, and I'm getting the new one the s- in two weeks. It's been two and a half months. Yeah. You've just been yeah. sitting there dying, dying for more punchline. <laughs> well, maybe not that, but... <laughs> The, 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 there's there's things to be said, but that is not for this time and place. Okay, there, yeah, I'll I'll steer into that skit. Now, um, you know, one one of the, one of the surprise stars of of this book for me has been Pyro. Oh, absolutely, he's phenomenal. Such a, I such wasn't a good expecting boy. to love him as much <laughs> as I do in this. You you ha- you had me at where a sheet and get beat. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's yeah. interesting because we got such great blob out of extremists mm. and now we're getting great pyro out of marauders when does avalanche get his turn <laughs> that is an excellent question i i need that now i need that now yeah you're right and Bl- and blob's back he's got a job he's bartending at the green lagoon Yes, you're a person. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, I'll, I'll ask the big question here, uh, Christy. Why do you think Kate can't go through the Krakoan gates? Um, well, I think it probably has uh, more to do with Krakoa than it does with Kate. Uh, from from the get-go people had a lot of oh is she not really a mutant or something like that i don't think it's i don't think it's anything to do with that the kirkoa we see right now is fused it's integrated with a lot of tech Mm -hmm. um and we know kitty's powers and tech don't really mesh very well uh and i think i think it's honestly just down to an incompatibility there maybe maybe doug ramsey's got an axe to grind that doesn't very seem that doesn't seem very likely um but i either that or it's something that nobody sees coming that's just going to be fabulous i would i would not be surprised if doug has something just totally out of left field in store for us there i i do trust in uncle jerry Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, i i do like the theory of well her phasing has always messed with computers and if krakoa is part you know warlock or whatever then Mm -hmm. you know it's it's a defense mechanism that that does make a lot of sense and it's much better than what i've been dreading which is hickman bringing back the neo and the whole thing where (laughs) kitty was supposed to be one of the neo Uh, I would lean more towards the adamantium agenda and Tom Taylor's one of the X-Men isn't really a mutant thing before I would go with the Neo. Yeah, that's another theory that's been floating around there. Absolutely. (laughs) The only thing with Kitty's phasing, not interacting with technology, is that there are other technopaths and things that can cross the gates. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I just... That boy, just everybody else can. I mean, you're freaking letting <laughs> some really problematic mutants through those games. <laughs> yeah, but a lot of them are in Hellions now, and that's just fun. Yes. Yes, but there's still Celine, or at least one of the two Celines apparently running around the Marvel Universe, because you can't reconcile her with Cap. 
That's true, but you can't reconcile Cap with a lot of... You can't reconcile Cap with Avengers right now, so... True. <laughs> Just pretend that's a Marvel Knights book. There you go. That's what I'm doing. But, uh, yeah, so you mentioned this already. You cosplayed as Captain Kate at, at C2E2 this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, how complicated a uh, cosplay was that? You know, how much how much work went into that, both sort of assembling the materials and then putting it all together? Uh, um. Well... I mean, I started it very early. As soon as we got that initial uh, cover of Kate Pride, Red Queen, you know, the mm-hmm. hold fast, I was actually I was at a wrestling show uh, with my husband and my son. It was my son's first wrestling show, and I was Aww. like, mm, "Got yeah, yeah." It was a really sweet moment, but I was like, "Guys, I really need to like scour Amazon right now and <laughs> find this jacket," and I did. Uh, so the following Monday, the the cover came out on Friday. That Monday, mm-hmm. I I'd bought a jacket, you know, kind of taking a gamble because we could only like see her from the shoulders up. Sure. Um, and it it wound up working pretty well until I found out, hey, jacket's gonna be full length, and I was like, oh, I I, I kind of had a feeling. Uh, so I had to uh, find some matching fabric and extend the jacket and alter things a little bit. Um, but that was the bulk of like the actual construction of her cosplay. The rest was just kind of, uh, okay, I'm going to make a belt buckle. That's not too complicated and finding boots and things, but it was, the rest was mostly finding things. What was actually complicated was al- almost kind of last minute. Cause I'd been kind of looking for a Lockheed to go along mm. with the cosplay and, and I couldn't find anything I was super satisfied with. So I'm like, Oh, I'll make one. Like how complex could that be? It was complex. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, I mean, I'm sure if I did it again, it would be a lot smoother. Uh, It was my first time ever making, like, essentially a a plushie. Uh, He's adorable. He's super cute. He's actually right next to me right now. Um, But that was was the most complex part of it. And also figuring out uh, how to either turn my pink hair brown again... Um, or make a wig manage to be in a ponytail, which I couldn't. I couldn't pull off. So the hair and Lockheed were the hardest part, I think. <laughs> okay, interesting. How did it compare to uh, you did the the uh, the Spider Woman cosplay a couple years before mm-hmm. that? Oh my gosh, Spider Woman was was a, a nightmare. Um, mainly because like partway through, I think I realized that every artist drew her jacket slightly differently, mm. and you couldn't. It's not like I could buy that jacket somewhere and like alter it and put on the logo. It was incredibly unique construction. And so I had to draft the whole thing and had hiccups along the way. And yeah, that was a whole lot, that jacket. Um, so definitely Kate Pride was a lot easier than Jessica Drew. Okay. Um how was the the general experience of walking around C two C two E two you know in the Captain Kate Pride costume? Did you have a lot of people coming up to you, anything like that? So many more people than came up to me when I was Jessica Drew <laughs> <laughs> the year before. Um, so it, it it was absolutely delightful, and um, you know I got to hang out. And when I say hang out, I mean like Leah Williams just was like, oh, yeah, here, take my chair, sit at my booth with me and just keep me company. Um, and just getting to like hang out with the the ex writers and 
Jerry was was so sweet. He'd already he'd already like followed me on on Twitter at this point and uh-huh. like asked me questions about my kids when I got to see him and meet him. And um, it, it's just so I, I'm an I'm an awkward person in general. Uh, so it's so nice to just have like a visual indication of this is who I am. This is what I like. This is why I'm here. And just being able to connect that much quicker in, uh, and avoid some of the awkward uh, small talk it made me very recognizable. <laughs> I think it was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, even ran into people who were like, oh, I was following you making that on Twitter, like seeing all of your, your costumes, like it turned out great. Um, there were a couple of other other Kates there. There was a Kate that showed up with uh, an Emma Frost and they had a bottle of champagne that they were passing back and forth between each other. It was it was fabulous. Uh, I got to meet an adorable uh, Captain Britain cosplayer. She was so sweet. Uh, little teenage girl that was just handing out Krakoan flowers and little X-Men badges attached to them to everybody that she was meeting. So... I, I love cosplay. It's just such a fabulous way to get to connect with people and talk with people and uh, just makes you feel instantly at home at a con. That is that is awesome. That sounds like an amazing experience. Um, now, now I, and of course, now I miss cons all over again. <laughs> oh my gosh. I know. I know. I'd only planned on going to C2E2 and our local con this year. And, uh-huh. you know, out of the two, I'm very glad that C2E2 happened, that it was that yeah. early this year. We almost didn't go uh, because it was so early. It fell right in the middle of I coach speech and debate mm-hmm. and it fell right in the middle of their tournament season. And I had considered, no, for my students, I have to stay. I have to make sure that they can get to that that fifth tournament <laughs> this season. Uh, and as it got closer, I was like, no, you know, they can live without that tournament. I don't know if I can live without this con. <laughs> I, and I'm so glad. You chose wisely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, so what is, what is your favorite kitty story? I I feel like I'm so partial. I feel like my favorite kitty story is being told right now. Um, and maybe because that's just I'm so wrapped up in where it's going to go. Um, but I I mean, I, I also I love Kitty as as a as a goofy kid. Um, her. What was it? It's uncanny. 143 I think it's Christmas Eve and Demons. she's yeah. yes uh, and it, it's just her that whole issue and just wrapping up with her casually in a towel like oh yeah everything went fine <laughs> <laughs> just sort of a home alone uh, type issue she's so fun as a kid <laughs> I, I, li- I like the visual of the Nagari demon as Joe Pesci very much <laughs> <laughs> I see, I, I see the Nagara demon as Daniel Stern. Okay, yeah, all right, a little bit more di- the the more dim witted one. Okay. Yes, exactly. I mean, when you as got long Logan as he gets to wear around. fingerless gloves, that's that's the important. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I do. Have, do you have a least favorite one, or or one where you just don't feel like she's you know the writer didn't get it, or she just isn't as represented as I, well, or just makes a bad I choice? I love Jason Aaron. 
but mm-hmm. I don't know what he was thinking with the pregnancy brood story. Oh that yeah. Never, that never no, it never should have happened. <laughs> there we oh. go. <laughs> oh man. And uh then you guys on, on your show on Chris's on Infinite Earth, you guys just covered uh, Fantastic Four X Men where Kitty's sort of one of the major players. Oh, and it's such an a, an emotional experience for her. Like she's on the verge of death. Her friends are gambling pretty much everything on in the hopes of Doctor Doom. Um, and you know she's she's got real she's got her whole self sacrificing nature. Mm-hmm. You know this is putting my friends in a really rough spot. Maybe I should just let myself you know just disappear. Um, and just brought back by by sweet Franklin Richards. It's it's a great kitty story. Uh, even even her is what fourteen years old, already has those those courageous um, elements that we that we love about her. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, okay, here's here here's a tough one, and you hinted at this in the eulogy. What's your favorite kitty costume? <laughs> she's had some bad ones. Um, she's had some really bad ones. Uh, hi, you know, I I don't know. I feel like I should answer something other than what she's wearing in Marauders right now, but I don't think I don't think I can. It's so cool. <laughs> she, I mean, it's it, it it's just cool. She feels powerful it felt really powerful to wear it let me tell you the long mm-hmm. coat and there's some great we have some great panels of her with the coat just kind of flapping behind her but it really does that and you just feel i don't know and the epaulets it's it's so it's so by <laughs> it's great i you know i i definitely i definitely get that feeling and especially you know it's it's weird that her most con- prior prior to marauders her most consistent costume was just sort of you know generic x-men uniform yeah yeah and this is it 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 speaks to me (laughs) which sounds really cheesy but i I don't know it it, that was even just seeing the top half of that in that first cover Mm -hmm. not having read any marauders knowing very little about the book i was just like i feel connected to this it feels cool and powerful like the knuckle tats and everything um much better than her tattoo as a bartender oh <laughs> uh, yeah the old tramp stamp <laughs> I, I mean a lucky if you're gonna get a tattoo a lucky tattoo is pretty good but yeah. the whole look <laughs> the, there's a least favorite kitty pride story of all time oh <laughs> mechanics <laughs> Listen, Matt. It was the year two thousand. Coyote Ugly was was hot, 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 and uh, Claremont was uh, horny, horny, horny. I don't know. <laughs> Cramming as many words into a panel as he possibly could. Yeah. <laughs> Even by Claremont standards, mechanics is wordy. Ah. Uh. I was going to come up with some sort of Sean Gordon Murphy joke, but you know, who, who am I? Will Nevin? Um, yeah. Let Will keep his brand on that one. Yeah, I, I will. I absolutely will. All right. Moving right along. Um, 
the kitty that we're currently seeing in Marauders, in, independent woman. She's kind of she's found her calling. She's found well, I mean, obviously prior to prior to being killed. Uh, spoilers <laughs> from months ago, uh, you know, but very much a leader, very much an, an independent woman. But Kitty also has had a lot of love interests over the years, uh, coded and uncoded. Um, do you do you have a favorite love interest for Kitty? And and just to be clear, you know, ground rules and all that. First of all, all ships are valid. Uh, mm-hmm. And second of all, your favorite love interest need not necessarily be the person who is best for Kate. Uh, for example, uh, as we covered on the Our Son Pete episode, Matt and I are both big fans of Pete Wisdom. Neither of us would say that he is best for Kate. And in fact, I've begun shipping him and Betsy uh, from Excalibur very hard. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel, I mean, I feel like everybody has a favorite uh, ship for, for Kate. Um, I've kind of been loving her as a as a free agent. I think I have more people that I don't want to see her with than <laughs> I do. Um, people that I want to see her with. I mean, mm-hmm. Kitty, Kitty Anna, of course. Um, one that I haven't really decided how I feel about, and you guys need to weigh in on this with me. Okay. She's there there. She and Emma in Marauders have had a lot of uh, interesting tension there. Like, their relationship feels very intimate, and it feels like there's maybe some subtext there. But given, like, I mean, and this is, this is, this is a line that's been difficult with Kitty, given that we met her so young, and I know she's much older now, but the age difference between them... Like, I'm really interested to see what happens, but I really haven't decided how I would feel about it um, in that regard. Like, especially being, like, a teacher myself mm-hmm. and just knowing, like, hey, I I teach 13, 14-year-olds. If the first time I met someone, like, I was old enough to, like, be their teacher, I don't, I don't know if I could envision that ever happening <laughs> regardless of how old they were but i'm i'm kind of intrigued by it and i like it so it it's it, it's too it's it's conflicting for me i okay i i get that i i you know i mean i'm intrigued by the concept i don't Okay, so I, the thing that I kind of immediately went back to, and 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 Giant Miles covered this on Explain the X Men not too long ago, within the past year, uh, there was in Excalibur around like the Alan Davis solo era, a period where Kitty was hanging out with uh, Courtney Ross, Saturnine, Omniversal, Majestrix. We don't need to get into that weeds, but mm-hmm. uh, you know it. You know there was sort of a seductive element a coded seductive element there mm-hmm. that i you know there especially because kitty at the time i think was like just turning 16 mm-hmm. you know there you get into all kinds of issues with with well first of all age primarily age but mm-hmm. also consent and and unequal power dynamics i think at this point in kitty's life you know she's in a adult capable of making her own decisions i don't really see the power dynamic issue uh as being a a problem uh you know i i think this would be two consenting adults 
I, you know, I think this would be two consenting adults. All right. You've given me permission. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and, <laughs> Unless and, Matt's about to disagree. Well, one, the age of consent in the UK is 16. So it's still creepy, but it's not illegal. Um, I have a whole thing that we don't need to get into necessarily about a really strong belief that Kitty needs to be single for a good long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I frankly had the same feeling about Scott. And I mean, I think what he's doing might be healthier than attempting <laughs> to be in yet another monogamous relationship. But Kitty has been yeah there's a really bad pattern when you look at the relationships Kitty's been in Mm -hmm. and I feel like Emma in some ways breaks that pattern and in some way feeds into it that's fair Kitty has a penchant for being in relationships with seriously broken people Mm. Ilyana shortly after coming back from the demon realms Mm -hmm. Rachel still suffering PTSD from her time in the days of future past Mm. Pete Wisdom who's a ball of neuroses Peter Rasputin after he comes back from the dead and even before that that wasn't so much a relationship as a weird crush on someone who was inappropriately too old mm-hmm. uh, and then I mean you look at Bobby Drake who was not right for her on <laughs> any multiple level. levels <laughs> and the less said about her and friggin Peter Quill the better Peter Quill is not the right person for anyone <laughs> he invariably gets into relationships with people who are sort of on the rebound whether it's Kitty from any number of people or Gamora from Adam Warlock it's Quill is a disaster Kitty needs especially as someone who can't be more than 21 if that I I go you know and and I don't have any any, you know canon uh, examples for this but given sliding time, I go with Kitty as twenty six. Mm. I don't. I think. She, I think she's old enough to rent a car. Twelve years since she joined the X Men. Hmm. I don't know. I, this we, is. We it, know she was old time. enough to be a bartender. You can bartend <laughs> depending on where you are. You can bartend before you can drink. I could she's bartend in Chicago. To- I mean, I could bartend at 18 in New Jersey at college parties, even though I didn't drink. Granted, I don't drink when I was 21, but that's you know neither here nor there. Um, but I, I don't see her as 26. I think maybe 21 is too young, but I don't think she's quite that old. But nonetheless, I just feel like she needs some single time, and I think I would sooner... Per, again, personally, no ship is invalid. If we're going to see anything going on between characters and marauders, it's Emma and the Storm. Mm. I think that is two powerful queens, l- literally. 
I, I'm not, you know, attempting to co- to culturally appropriate any phrase there. They are literally two queens. No, you mean that with all the respect that royalty deserves. I get that. Precisely. Yeah. <laughs> I think they yeah. would just have a delightful rapport. Um. You know, I I wouldn't see that coming, but now that you've said it, like the. I mean, they've, they've really come a long way, the two of them. And grief has a way of bringing people together. They both lost a daughter. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, that, that, that issue, what was that, seven? Or, or whatever, where they, like, hug and, like, vent. Uh-huh. And, and yeah. Emma just takes everything from Storm. Oh, that was, be- that was beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. I do think part of, of Matt, you know, kind of speaking to what you said about Kitty and Broken People, I think part of it is the way that the writers themselves view Kitty, you mm-hmm. know, because she was always sort of the kid sister of the X-Men, but also like the girl next door. Like, I think writers who had a crush on Kitty <laughs> as teenagers yep. tended to be the ones who gave her more screen time. I mean, Joss Whedon obviously is probably the ultimate example of that, but even kind of speaking to, to Bendis and, um, Warren Ellis, you know, I I think it's, it's a little bit, I think that's why she keeps ending up with, with older people. And we're just sort of used to it 40 years down the line. Um, you know, and so maybe that speaks to it being better if Jerry doesn't pair them together. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. again, I still think it's I I think it's valid at this point. But also, apparently, I think Kitty's way older than everyone else. So, <laughs> not saying it's not valid. I'm just saying I think for the emotional health of Kitty, she could use some more time. Uh, being by herself mm-hmm. and not getting involved again with Ilyana before the second Ilyana shows up and the horrors that come with that. Oh, you mean like Ilyana who died of the legacy virus Ilyana as opposed to mm-hmm. this version of Ilyana? No, Ilyana who's pure demon and disappeared at the end of Uncanny. Oh, that one. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's, that's still out there. Maybe that'll be handled in the, uh, the juggernauts. Oh God. Is that ever coming out? Yeah, I don't know. But that's, I mean, that thing disappeared with Juggernaut, and I don't, I, I mean, unless they hunted it down and killed it before they ran her through the resurrection protocols, there is a dark child floating around out there that I'm sure has a mad on for anyone who, you know, its human self loved at one point or another. And so Kitty is high up there on that list. There's also the issue of if Kitty were with Emma, she'd be sharing Emma with Scott. Mm. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) If Scott and Logan, if Jean can share with Scott and Logan, anything is possible. Well, I mean, at that point, they all should probably be getting tested, but yes. (laughs) You're calling medicine. The heck of a thing. It's the best. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Okay. Um, One more before we move on to the animated discussion portion of this conversation. Mm -hmm. Why doesn't Kitty need, or Kate, 
excuse me, let's let's use her adult name. Uh, mm-hmm. Why why don't Kate or Jean Grey need code names? They've had them, and they're they're bigger than their their code names. They they're icons. They don't have to have one. Good enough. <laughs> Good enough. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so last night I, I just kind of randomly thought of this and, and, and messaged Christy. I'm like, have you ever seen Pride of the X-Men? Oh, my gosh. And right then I was like, what is this? And I like, looked it up. I'm like, this is 20 minutes. I've got 20 minutes. Um, and oh, my gosh. That is that's something. Uh, <laughs> I That's one heck of a pilot. It's like they tried to cram a several episodes or a whole season into 20 minutes it was a lot that's that's the beauty of those 80s cartoons <laughs> they, they there was no decompression not at all uh hey you you know just walked into my home here protect this this priceless item from magneto go for it no this angry Australian question mark guy is going to keep his claws at you. He called someone a dingo. <laughs> so somebody uh, asked. And Nightcrawler was oddly uncomfy. I know they yeah. wanted. I guess they wanted to play up kind of his creepiness factor, but it was. I don't know if it was creepy in the the way they wanted it to be creepy. Listen, Kurt's always been a flirt, but yeah. <laughs> uh, this, this, this this crosses that line into German guy who definitely has a sex dungeon. <laughs> it, it's like they, I mean, they took stuff from those early Claremont stories where Kitty was uncomfortable around Kurt. Yes. And then they dialed it up <laughs> to 13. <laughs> Not It went past 11. It went straight to 13. Well, you know, speaking of 13, which Kitty is in this cartoon, or 14, there's something creepy about the way this entire cartoon starts, which is Xavier sends a teenager, he doesn't know, a note saying, I know what you can do. Come to my mansion alone. (laughs) You know, not the creepiest thing Charles Xavier probably did that week. It's in the top five. (laughs) Yes, I will admit that. Yeah, it uh, definitely goes uh, very, very off book from the, hey, let's go meet her parents and, and, you know, talk about this and recruit her. And yeah, it it's a little it's a little startling how quickly that whole day escalates. It's just one day, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It, it, it is just one day. She goes from showing up outside the X-Mansion in a taxi, which she took from Chicago, I guess. <laughs> which means she got up super early. <laughs> I think she took it from LaGuardia or JFK. I, I hope for her sake it was JFK. minor flying, okay. You could it do that in the, the 80s. 80s. <laughs> uh, like how Matt and I are immediately like, that was pre-9-11. <laughs> we are old, folks. <laughs> yeah. Um, but... Dear God. <laughs> yeah, so she had, they, she had to get from showing up at the mansion like first thing in the morning to saving the world. Uh-huh. It's before dinner. Quite the journey. Like, you know, she is a very 
very precocious and capable, plucky little thirteen-year-old. I mean, I guess she was she was to be the star. So she starts off with a bang. Yeah, no, that that is that is absolutely true. Um, it was produced by the same company that made the GI Joe cartoon in the eighties, and you can tell from the everything about it, like the mu- the theme song, the the score, the style of animation, obviously, and there's even a bit of like GI Joe's whole thing was we're military, but we each have our own personalities and here's our name and here's what we can do. And it ha- it has a lot of that same rhythm for, you know, what I remember from being like six years old, uh, you know, and even the overall plot of the episode where the X-Men have to stop the brotherhood from deploying a device that will destroy the earth. I mean, you could very easily substitute Magneto with Cobra commander. Um, Brotherhood of Mutant Terrorists? Wasn't that what they they called themselves? That was a whole bunch. Yes. I, I mean, I the Brotherhood had... of Evil Mutants was never a good name. <laughs> no. But, but I brother... think Brotherhood of Mutant Terrorists is worse. Brotherhood of Mutant Terrorists is very 80s. That was the period where the phrase terrorist was becoming a buzzword. Where it replaced mm. freedom fighters, yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's also interesting, though, as you point out, it comes from the same company that did the single most jingoistic and pro-military cartoon in the history of jingoistic and pro-military cartoons, G.I. Joe. The U.S. military here are presented as a bunch of racist assholes. Yeah. Very one note, although I, I didn't really look into this, but looking at the models of some of those generic military guys, I swear to God, they just use templates from G.I. Joe. Probably. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't think Photoshop existed then in the way that it does now, but there was some copy and pasting going on. <laughs> they just didn't have a guy in a football jersey with a bazooka. Um, or Sergeant Slaughter. Or Sergeant Slaughter, correct. Emma's voice in that I was not I was not expecting Emma to sound that way I mean I wasn't expecting a lot of these characters to sound this way we have we have we have a lot of you know icons drilled into our minds of how they should sound but I mean some of it just felt so jarring watching and I wonder would it have felt as as jarring you know in the in the time if you didn't have I guess those expectations going in that's that's a good question. Um, I mean, let's see. This was this was eighty nine, so you figure X Men are popular, but they're not like nineteen ninety one Jim Lee popular. Mm-hmm. But I mean, yeah. So Emma sounds like the Wicked Witch of the West. Yes. Toad sounds like Igor, like like a generic <laughs> yes. like Lon Chaney Igor. Juggernaut mm-hmm. sounds like Macho Man Randy Savage. Well, all right. Yeah. Hold on. What? Juggernaut sounds like somebody doing an impression of Macho Man Randy Savage <laughs> when they're drunk. Well, you know, I, I have to say, what I'm reading the autobiography of legendary voice actor Rob Paulson right now. Mm-hmm. And he said one of the best ways to get a new character voice is to do a bad impression of someone. And it winds up becoming a really interesting new voice. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, And then, of course, there's the best of them all. Australian Wolverine. 
Oh my god. <laughs> oh, it's so good. <laughs> so good, bad. Bad good. Somebody on Twitter today uh asked, you know, what 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 if this were like the actual X-Men cart like what if this had gone to series? What if this became the X-Men cartoon that an entire generation, you know, remembered and cherished? And I I like my first instinct was, well, Basically, they'd all be complaining 10 years later when Hugh Jackman isn't using his real Australian accent in the movie. <laughs> but they hired an Australian to do Wolverine. <laughs> oh. Oh, God. But, I mean, we we talked about the voice casting a little bit. And, and you know, Matt, you're kind of the, the, the expert in this. But uh, among the voice casting, the one thing that I really recognized is Frank Welker, who was like a the goat of the era basically uh he was fred on scooby-doo basically since jump since the very first scooby-doo cartoon he was megatron on transformers he did ducktales he did the smurfs he did slimer on the real ghostbusters uh gobots the snorks you get the point um this one probably not his best work though uh Mm-hmm. I mean, he he but, is the voice slash sound of pretty much every animal in every cartoon you have ever heard. He, oh, he's Nibbler on Futurama, both his speaking voice and those weird little sounds he makes. Oh, wow. One of my favorite performances of his. Oh, and he was Iceman on Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Yes, using basically his Fred voice. Yes, that's correct. In fact, my son, because we watched the the same episode, which we'll talk about in a little bit uh, today, he was like, Dad, why does that guy sound like Fred? I'm like, dude, good ear. I was so proud of him. My wife said the same thing. She walked by as I was watching it. She's like, is that Fred? like, yes. Yes, it is. But, I mean, what's interesting is the, the core of the Brotherhood are actually pretty much them raiding the rogues galleries of cartoons of the time. Because, I mean, Welker was Megatron, but Pyro is Pat Fraley, who's Krang on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And the Blob is Alan Oppenheimer, who is best known, well, maybe not best known because he's been in every cartoon ever, as Skeletor on the original Masters of the Universe. And in this one, he basically just chose to make Blob sound like 70s Hulk. Yeah, pretty much. I think they lifted his voice cut right out for the video game about, you know, nothing moves the blob. Uh, I was waiting for Pyro threatening to turn someone to toast. I was really hoping that that was in there, too. Um, Emma is, while also one of the major villains, as far as I could tell, was not a major villain on the cartoons of the time, but she was one of the Riddler's hench girls in the classic Batman 66 and works to this day. Um, she just did a character in uh, FF7 remake. Uh, see previous episode, uh, Our Son Cloud with Charlie Davis. Do, do you know which character by any chance? Um, I will check. Ah, here we go. The actress's name is Susan Silo. And she voiced Muriel? Mirily? Hmm. Okay. There might be new characters in the remake. Um, okay. So we talked about Nightcrawler uh, a little bit. And it's 
besides the whole creepiness thing, it's interesting towards the end, he almost gets a, a Jean Grey becoming Phoenix moment. Mm-hmm. You know, he first of all gets used as a battery, which is weird. But then uh, <laughs> also he has this moment where he's like crashing toward Earth and burning up on reentry. And I'm just and he's he instead of being saved by a giant fiery space bird, he's saved by grappling beams, which I don't know what those are exactly. But uh, <laughs> Matt, you had an idea. <laughs> yes. Um, what I, I would just like for people, if they are out there and are of a more artistic bent than I am, which is most people, um, what would a Nightcrawler Phoenix look like? Send us fan art. We would like to see that. <laughs> there, there you go, guys. Our first fan art contest. <sighs> Nightcrawler Phoenix. Um, blue flame. Yeah, blue. Yes, mm. yes. Fuzzy blue flame. Love it. Blue or purple, <laughs> the color of his the Banff clouds. Ooh. Yeah. Well, we'll leave that up to the experts. But uh, <laughs> speaking of old animation that involves Kitty, uh, Matt, you reminded me of another classic today. Uh, the episode of Spider-Man and his amazing friends that takes place exclusively in the X-Mansion uh, that was supposed to actually be a backdoor pilot for an X-Men cartoon even before Pride of the X-Men. So this is like 1983, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. That also didn't take. But talking about bad kitty costumes, <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. this is a bad one. It is a yellow bathing suit with a black swim cap that covers the eyes with a yellow X on it. And it also it like basically matches her skin tone. It's not a good costume. No. I mean, it's not a good cartoon either. No, but Thunderbird turns into a bear. There's there's a really good part where they go into something called the Maze of Madness, where it's basically <laughs> just like six X-Men hanging out in an M.C. Escher painting. And they... What is it with superheroines of the early 80s dating their college professors? It's really uncomfortable. Okay, he wasn't a college... Because I, 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 I watched the episode after you and I talked about it, and I thought he was a college professor, but he was a... Okay, so Firestar, who was one of the amazing friends, is in, was in college, and she was dating a physicist, not her physics professor. Okay. I, but still an older man. Yes, and he winds up getting turned into a cyborg, who is a direct visual ripoff of a Legion of Superheroes villain. He looks exactly like a Legion of Superheroes villain. I was going to say he looked like White Cyborg from Teen Titans. There's a Legion villain called Therok who is bi- bilaterally cut and one half of him is human and one half of him is robot. But is he still wearing underpants? Yes. <laughs> they just flat out ripped off Therok. Spider-Man and his amazing friends had a lot of bad made-up villain villains. That's where we got Swarm from, the villain who's just Nazi bees. <laughs> Who is an answer in a video game, a tri- video trivia game that I play with my D&D group on off weeks. Uh, and he just keeps coming up. We just keep getting that question. The villain Swarm is a blank made of blank. <laughs> and I got it right the first time. And ever since then, it is constantly coming up and I was like 
Well, we all know that he's a, a Nazi made of bees now. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I can't believe that's a thing. Um, and, and wasn't there a, an 8-bit video game villain in there, too? Yeah, Video Man. Yes! And, and also, like, this, this preceded <laughs> home consoles, so I wouldn't even call him an 8-bit villain. He was just, like, a guy who didn't understand what arcades were or ha- arcade culture made a villain based on the vi- the generic concept of video games. I love the old Marvel series of the 70s and 80s and their weird villains and the weird stuff they would do. I don't think I've ever talked about this on mic before, but one of my favorites is an episode of the Fantastic Four where it, the the Herbie version, where they had Herbie instead of Johnny Storm, where Magneto shows up at the villain, and he's flying in like a metallic bathtub, and he stops for directions at a gas station for for the Baxter Building, and, and then just like smacks around the the gas station because the guy was impertinent and asking to fuel up his floating bathtub. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Christy. Uh, if if for a good time, uh, if you if you have the Disney Plus, definitely watch the old Spider Woman cartoon from nineteen seventy nine. All right. Yes, we'll do. we do have Disney Plus over here. Oh, oh it is just so, so. Yeah, it's <laughs> it, it's somewhere between like the Linda Carter Wonder Woman and also. Uh, also Scooby Doo and also Johnny Quest and also bad, but but like in in a way that will keep you enwrapped. You know what I mean? Not like bad, like it's not worth watching at all. It's definitely worth watching, especially okay. the episode where she fights a Dracula and a werewolf and a Frankenstein that all shoot lasers out of their eyes. Love it. Here for that. Yeah, uh, it definitely well worth it. That was my first exposure to Jessica Drew. Oh wow. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, you know, just thinking about all these these old attempts at X Men pilots that never took. Uh, the one thing that's kind of comforting is that Cyclops is an uptight stiff in all of them. Good old Cyclops can always can always count on him. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, but. Uh, Anyway, what are you what are you reading right now? What do you what do you you know kind of doing right now to 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 keep yourself uh, busy in these current times? Um, so I uh, <laughs> the last thing I really binge read was uh, Siege, uh, the entire checklist, all forty somewhat 46 issues i think i read uh, congratulations was, and condolences <laughs> uh-huh it was a, it was a whole lot a whole lot but i really discovered um how motivating checklists could be uh during during a lot of the rona times it was really difficult to for me to read or even like feel too much of a desire to read unless it was like something i had to read for for our podcast for chris's mm-hmm. um and you know, a checklist really kind of does the trick. So I've been, you know, looking for for reading lists on Marvel Unlimited. Like, you know, I actually they did you know on Marvel Unlimited they don't have like a character reading list for for Catherine Pride. Hmm. 
of, of all of the characters not to have one. As I was getting ready for this episode, I'm like, oh, I should look through and see what they have on their list that I haven't read. And I'm like, they don't have one. So... <laughs> Um, not an intern, please get on it because <laughs> I like lists. They're very motivating. I, I'll send you, I have many promotional lists from the nineties when Marvel <laughs> would release like these trading cards that were checklists. I will scan them and send you checklists of weird Marvel, like annual crossovers and other events. Is this oh, going to be sending her down a rabbit hole of trying to track down like that like ridiculous Marvel Malibu crossover from 1995 <laughs> where Prime becomes the Phoenix? I'm not that sadistic. I was going to say, she doesn't need that. <laughs> Nobody needs that. <laughs> no, but there's a, there's a couple of good ones. There's a DC event that I'm pretty sure I have a checklist for that was an annual event called Armageddon 2001 that was really quite good in, in most, part, most parts. Mark Wade's first uh, Flash story is in there, amongst other things. Okay. I'm excited. I'm excited um, for for more checklists. It there's something just so satisfying about each check mark. I don't know. I'm a it, it it's a weakness. It'll it'll get me in trouble someday. Uh, our compulsions will drown us all. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, as we're as we're winding down here, uh, you know, how can how can people uh, follow you? How can people support uh, what you're doing right now? What these uh, what you're doing these days? Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Christy Edelman. Uh, I also put out a podcast with my husband, Chris is on Infinite Earths, where we cover crossovers and events um, from Marvel, DC. Um, and, you know, we we so love the X-Men that they get their own slot, too. So we rotate Marvel, DC, X-Men. Uh, and you can find the podcast on Twitter at Chris's Pod. And I am so excited to be gearing up to write again uh, at XavierFiles.com. I currently write uh, Maritors there, co-write Maritors um, with my co-writer Vishal Galapoli. Uh, he's fabulous. And I also write about Captain Marvel over at Xavier Files uh, with Kat Purcell, also wonderful. Um, and occasional other uh, small bits of coverage with our Marvel minutia that we do do over there. So that's where you can find my writing, and you can you can listen to me. Uh, Chris is on Infinite Earths. We just had our Fantastic Four versus X Men uh, episode come out, so you can catch me there. All right, Christy, uh, thank you so much for for coming on uh, and and chatting with us about uh, about Captain Kate. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much, Dan and Matt. Uh, well, Matt, we've had a lot of fun, but that is it for this week's show. As always, you can listen to WMQ Presents on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at WMQComics.com, where new episodes move on Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ Presents and WMQComics.com at Patreon.com slash WMQComics. With just a dollar donation, get you early access to episodes, the ability to promote your work on our site, and a customized bonus reading column written by Matt, built around the character, creator, or theme of your choice. And a $2 donation gets you a free, random comic book in the mail from my collection. Big thanks to our patrons, Charlie Davis from the Young Ones podcast, Robert Secundus from DocsHawks at XavierFiles.com, Scott Madrinsky from MojoWorks.com, Carla Pacheco from Marvel's Spider-Woman series, and Saren. You can follow WMQ Comics on Twitter and Facebook, and you can follow me on Twitter at Daniel P. Grote. And me at MattLaz1013.
Not a fan of social media? Sign up for our weekly Q newsletter, which gives you the best of WMQ every week in your inbox, plus sneaks peeks at what's ahead and an early look at our weekly editorial. Finally, and most importantly, check out WMQComics.com for all your comics news, previews, reviews, interviews, and plain old views. And we'll see you next week for the long-awaited return of WMQA. WMQA.